KYW Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. When you put things in perspective, it's, it's, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. To get to the Final Four is a good thing. But when you've done something beyond that, you want more. I, I think we were all on the same page. That they, we were hungry. It's something I'll, I'll always remember, and I think everybody on that team will remember. And our guest this week, Tina Sloan Green, uh, just a, a Philadelphia legend, uh, one of the great women's lacrosse coaches really in American history, was phenomenal at Temple, also coached field hockey there, uh, co-founder of the Black Women in Sports Foundation, and we are honored to have you in here. Thanks so much for coming by. You're so welcome. Thank you. Uh, let's start with the co-founder of the, the Black Women in Sports Foundation. For people that aren't familiar, talk about the foundation, its mission, its work. Well, the mission of the, the Black Women in Sports Foundation is to increase opportunities for, for black girls, girls of color, from the playing field to the boardroom. And through offering clinics and, and schools and after-school programs and, and recreation centers, and uh, we partner with so many folks, not only here in Philadelphia, but in New York and, and Tennessee and my co-founders, Nikki Frank, Alpha Alexander, they were students at Temple when, when I got to Temple, and Linda Green was in the law school at, at Temple. So it was founded, historically founded, because of the fact that uh, when Carol Oglesby came after my second year at Temple, we'd never see anybody that looked like us at these various seminars and whatever. So we decided we're going to do something about this. So we... My first seminar was actually a, a, a continuing education program. My my coworker Robert Lehe, uh, he was in charge of continuing education. So we started a continuing education program. Invited the the, the teachers in the, in the school district, and my husband knew some you know folks in in the uh, historically black schools in the South. You know. Uh, Dorothy Ritchie and um, you know all these folks you know were you know came to help create our first seminar and then it just grew from there. Through our work, we've seen have tremendous tremendous outcomes, but unfortunately, as the sports grew, like tennis and lacrosse and whatever, money becomes an issue because you know these sports are are attracting dollars and cents and TV and all this stuff. So. Our work is just beginning now because of the fact that they see sport is not as a, as a necessity in our public schools and in, in our recreation centers. It's a pay-to-play environment. I, although I thought that the foundation would not be needed at this particular point, needed more than ever in order to make sure that girls of color have the same opportunities that I had, that my children had. The pay-to-play, we pay taxes. I mean, it's not, it's Philadelphia is not a, a, a broke school district. You know, it's just how you want to spend your money. So leadership, the leadership in the schools, the leadership in in parks and recreation, the leadership in the Boys and Girls Clubs, the, the leadership in the Salvation Army, we've all got to collaborate, you know, for the mission of inclusiveness. And they talk about diversity and inclusion, Who's not included? You know, look who's not included. And let's do things to make sure that 
those people who are not included are included. That's the mission of the Black Women's Sport Foundation to make sure that girls of color, black girls and women of color have the opportunity to participate in all sports from the playing field to the boardroom. Let's talk about the impact of sports on your life. You grew up in Philadelphia Eastwick section, yes, correct? Yes. Sports, as far as you, as early as you can remember, always a, a part of your life? Well, if you know Eastwick, you know, it's, it's like a, the country in the city. You know, we had open space, and my school, Alice Carey School, was a, a, a two blocks away. I walked to school, walked home for lunch. We never had any organized sports, but we would, you know, play kickball and sit on the on the stoop and, uh, you know, hopscotch, jump rope, but nothing organized. Even in, in um in at Alice Care, we never had a you know a, a gym teacher or anything like that. My first exposure to sport was when I was advised to go to Girls High, and that changed my life because at Girls High we had a variety of activities, including sports and the arts, and I mean you name it, we had it. In fact, had it not been for sport, I probably would have left after a month and went back to my home school at Bartram because at Alice Carey, the 13 people in my graduating class. Wow. You know, I had to commute from my first experience that was at Masterman right here, you know, on Spring Garden Street. Then the school moved to um, Broad Nolly. But um, had it not been for uh, the gym teacher, uh, Ms. Weissenhofer, Back in the day, I keep telling these young people, back in the day, if the teacher told you to do something, there was no ifs, ands, and buts right. about it. You just did it. So she said, Sloan, you, you should come out for the field hockey team. Never, I had never seen field hockey in my life, but again, because she told me to come out for the team, I did. You know, I enjoyed it. I found that I was good at it. And then the next thing you know, I was you know, out for the basketball team. And then you know, I was behind in everything. These These girls were brilliant, you know. The former president of, of Penn, Judy Roden, was in my homeroom. You know, they, they had all the, the academics that I didn't have. But from the support of the, the athletic the staff, tutoring and all that, I, you know, I eventually caught up, and never to the level that some of these young ladies that I was going to school with. But I found that I was good in something. My expertise was, was the sports. I, you know, I was good at, what, at playing the, you know, the basketball and, you know, et cetera. So... Um, you know, that gave me, you know, uh, a sense of belonging. So you say you felt you were you were good. When do you start realizing that when it comes to like field hockey, lacrosse and stuff, that you're starting to separate yourself from the other kids? Like there's good and then there's I can take this further than than most people. Was there a I don't know, was there like an aha moment or was it just kind of a gradual you started to get more tension, start, and it just kind of grew. Yeah, it's, it was it was gradual, but uh, again, when I think back, we were actually practicing our craft, you know, in, in ninth and tenth grade because I was in the, the the leaders club, and and we helped the teachers out, and and it, back then I thought you going to girls high, I thought you really had to be good at what you did, you had to be outstanding, and so I you know, I I thought that. The thing that I was most outstanding was was a sport, so it was just natural for me to 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 want to be a physical education teacher and coach. And my parents didn't go to college, so uh, Miss Weissenhofer again advised me to go to Westchester. At that particular time, Temple was de-emphasizing phys ed. You know, they were wanted to become more of a research institution. 
they advised me to go to Westchester. I did. And again, I uh, had no idea. They had never played lacrosse in my entire life. I'd never even seen the game. And the teachers, I went out for field hockey. Back in the day, before Vonnie Grove came, the, the, the field hockey coach uh, told me she, she divided, put all the suburban girls on one side and the city girls on the other side. You know, I was on the third and fourth team. And the others on the first and second team. But I was having fun, you know, and I was commuting the first year, so it gave me a sense of belonging. And thank God, Bonnie Grow, and I think, you know, one of the, uh, if not the best, the, you know, uh, coach in the world at that particular time became the coach at, at, at Westchester. And, and not only my coach, but my teacher as well. So we had to, all of us took classes together. My classmates were unbelievable you know, as far as their passion for sport and their ability to perform the sport, but also be interested in the in the coaching and the and the and the phys ed as well. You know, I was told to come out for the, the lacrosse team. I did, and um, the, the rest is history. So, yeah. college—that's your first first exposure to, to the game. To the game. Wow! Yeah. But, did it feel comfortable right away? I mean, not just from a sports standpoint, but from a Wow, this is fun, and I'm I'm good at this. Like, oh yeah, I mean, I I never dreamed that I would be on you know the the national team. You know, at at four o'clock or three o'clock, I would run down the field after seeing my soap operas. You know, I'd be I'd be there on time, but I see my soap <laughs> operas first. But then after I I started going out for the, uh, they started exposing me to these other folks on the teams and uh, going to the all college you know situations with field hockey. I began to compare my abilities with these other folks. I said, hmm, just as good as this person. I'm just as good as that person. So I began to, because of the ability to compete, the opportunity to compete against others, I began to realize just how uh, you know good I could be. Your career at Westchester, that leads you to playing for the U.S. women's field hockey and women's lacrosse teams, am I correct? Right. I, I made the... Um, I think the all-college uh, uh, field hockey team at Westchester. And then um, after um, attending Westchester, when we were we were all coaches and teachers and whatever, I continued to play. And I made the, you know, all um, the, the district lacrosse team. And then it just went on to make the United States team. And first African-American yeah. on bo- in both cases or just I, field hockey? I, not in, in lacrosse, I, I was. Okay. First. I'm not so sure about you know, about field hockey, but um, the lacrosse, yes. Did you look at it? It's an honor. Did you realize at that young age the being the first African American, or do you look at it more just as I'm playing on this team? No, I, I looked at it as I'm the first. Everybody's looking at me. You know, I'm representing, and I got to represent. I can't mess up. My whole goal is I never wanted to be the only. I wanted to bring people along with me because it takes the pressure off of you. <laughs> you. You stick out. You know, what you do, We I had another young lady that played field hockey with me. Uh, we were with two of us, and normally Westchester rec- re- recruited, you know, two two black females and two uh, black males in each class. That was, it was sort of like a quota system. We knew we had to represent. You know, we we knew it. How much pressure does that add to you at every level? Or did you not... To think of it in that way, I didn't think of it as as pressure. Um, and I was thinking about it this morning. Um, 
in a way, when I got the job at Temple, nobody expected us to do anything. In a way, that was a blessing. <laughs> I would sit in meetings, and they would talk all around us, like, like thinking that, you know, we were not even in a mix. That spotlight, not having that pressure on you, being the underdog to me was actually sometimes a, a blessing. But um, but nobody really knows that internal fight that you have. And you have to sit there and you listen to this stuff and you go around and, and see what's going on and what's not going on. Um, so I think that instilled uh, a sense of uh, determination in me, but also determination in the, in the young ladies that I coached as well. So what was the experience of playing for the U.S. team like? A lot of travel, a lot of all, all over the the globe, or what was yeah, it like? I, I was, um, you, you know, I had the opportunity to go to Australia and Japan, and also um, had an opportunity to um, to go to uh, two months, spent two months in Great Britain, and going to Australia and Japan. We were the first ones to that that group of, of folks that was a, com- a combined team. I think it was with the British to go over there and really start the game of lacrosse. At the time, you know. You know, I didn't realize how, you know, significant it was, but it was a significant moment. And actually, I was treated uh, in Australia like a, like a queen <laughs> because it, it was a, a strange type of environment. They, they welcomed me, but I, as long as you're a visitor, you can't stay there, but as long as you're a visitor. So everybody wanted to house me, and, I mean, and the, back in those days, you, you, were, you would stay with families, and my experience in Great Britain was just the, just the opposite in England, where you, you knew that, you know, uh, who wants to house her? <laughs> um, I, I had some uh, great teammates and who they were supportive. I mean, I don't think they ever knew what things that I, I was going through right. because they were in the majority. But we again, we had we had fun. I was I missed being home because I, that was the first time I'd been away from home that long. But looking back, it was a, a tremendous you know experience, and I guess it prepared me for what I was going to face in days to come, try, trying to build a program and trying to you know create a you know family environment for for my children and, and my grand, grandchildren. Was coaching always something? That was on your radar once your playing days were over. I would like to pursue this, or or was it something that kind of just the opportunity presented itself and you jumped at it? No, like I said, I, after going through girls high, and I, I was thinking you had to be really, really good at what you did. Mm-hmm. That's why I stood out, and I knew that that was where my my passion was, where my expertise was. So the sports that we were in were elite sports, and I, I thank God for my my. Um, my classmates like um, Marcia Johnson and um, Patty Bollinger, because we never got a chance to go to the, the elite camps, the, the coach in the summertime. So we started our own camp. I was, I was teaching at, um, actually working at the YWC in Chester and met some folks who gave us opportunity to start a camp in, in Upland, Pennsylvania. That was our first camp. And all my classmates came out to, to help. And, and actually, that they helped me create the Temple University uh, pipeline for outstanding underserved athletes, really. If my timeline is correct, you start coaching and teaching in high school, and then you get the opportunity to coach basketball and cheerleading at Lincoln, yes. correct? Mm-hmm. And that eventually leads to, how did the door to Temple 
open to become the the head coach of lacrosse and field hockey there? Well, when, when once I left Westchester, my first job, I really wanted to teach in the city. But at the, in those days, Westchester students did not teach in the city, just Temple. You know, that was a Temple area. And so I, my first job was at uh, Unionville, Chadsford. And that was um, quite an experience because I was the first African-American teacher at, at Unionville. From there, I had opportunity to get a chance to learn a different culture, really, because the, the young people there were just so involved in their animals and, you know, the, it's just a different lifestyle. Right. No, absolutely. A different yeah. lifestyle. However, it was also a, a really, really um, tumultuous uh, uh, environment because that's when Martin Luther King had, had come to the school and at that particular time, he, that's when he got shot. And it was just so many, it was an emotional period for me. And I knew I had to, I had spent two years, I had to go back to the city. I wanted to go back to the city. Unfortunately, my, my uh, Miss Weiss and I had, had started at William Penn in, in the city. So I got a chance to, you know, work with her and, and get another type of experience there. And also, I got to Lincoln because my sorority is Delta, Delta Sigma Theta. And when I was uh, at Westchester, I had, I had pledged Delta Sigma Theta, and it was a combined uh, pledge group. It was uh, young ladies from Westchester, young ladies from Cheney, young ladies from Lincoln. And it so happens that my, my uh, soror at Lincoln University was Carol Black, who was the first uh, female at Lincoln, because Lincoln used to be an all-male school. She was the first female there. She called me one day and said, you know, Tina, they're looking for, you know, a PE teacher here at Lincoln. They had one, one, uh, you know, one, but they wanted somebody else to, there as well. So she told me about the job, and that was really, really um, an experience for me because all my, my days at Girls High, my days at uh, Westchester, I had never had seen, a, you know, actually a, a black coach or, or a black teacher at Girls High. Uh, so this was an experience to see all these black folks in very significant roles. And, you know, Mr. Revere and Mr. Gardner, I mean, these were men who were outstanding in their, in their fields. And uh, Floyd Lazier, and he was the, the basketball coach at Lincoln at the time, and John Cheney and Vivian Stringer were at at Cheney, so I got a chance to to see um, excellence in our in our own field, you know, and with with people that looked like me who who came from you know various backgrounds, but they they had achieved and 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 made a difference. Uh, then also, I saw different types of African American students. You know, some came from very very affluent backgrounds, and some came from not so influent blackgrounds, but it gave me an opportunity to see the, the cultural differences that existed within our own community, and I can appreciate that. And it was, it was the social life that I'd never been exposed to, and I was able to, that's how I, I actually met my husband, because he was, um, he was, he's a Tuskegee grad, and he was interested in sport, they would come up to, and I had friends who were, um, you know, in, involved in uh, social work, and he was a social worker, so you know, it all tied in. So after um, my experience at, at Lincoln, uh, it just so happened that um, Marvin Walkman was the president. 
at a particular time, Temple was going through some um, some very, very tough times because the students were rioting because they there were no African-American teachers. This was early 70s. And I, and I really um, credit the students at Temple University at, at for giving me the opportunity to actually you know teach and and coach there because had not they not been involved you know I probably would not have qualified because of my activity at at uh, Lincoln I qualified to be there because I had four years coaching experience plus Marvin Walkman in the meantime had gone to Temple because they needed somebody who had some experiences uh, with dealing with um, you know African Americans culture. So that was helpful in 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 my um, you know getting to the opportunity to to get that the job and and I thought it was a, a great opportunity here I could coach field hockey lacrosse uh, badminton and teach six credits and start a, a coaching program all for eleven thousand dollars <laughs> that was an opportunity back then now were field hockey and lacrosse specifically were they club programs when you took over well, or had they had just gone had they just gone varsity. Well then, no, they were. Um, well, field hockey was was always big. That was uh, okay, you know. But lacrosse was the level of lacrosse was very very low. I had to to run around and 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 get. Uh, you were basically starting yeah, starting from from well, scratch. Go to the sororities and beg the you know the young ladies to come out for the team. But so lacrosse wasn't as any and lacrosse wasn't as big uh, nationally either. You know, we would, right? No, it's a different world right, now. Right. Right. But the difference, I think, between field hockey and lacrosse was the fact that the men understood lacrosse because men played lacrosse. A um, lot, lot of American men did not play field hockey. So in that respect, it was easy for them to understand the, 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 the possibilities in the game. So, so that, that was helpful. How difficult was it juggling three sports, including the badminton, or was it just this is my job and, you know, got to do it? I, I th- still think that, you know, the field hockey and lacrosse, field hockey was in the fall, but then in between they had, the, you know, the badminton, and then uh, the lacrosse was in the spring. And a lot of my athletes did both sports. And I and when I look back, I don't think that was a bad idea because, you know, you get tired of doing the same thing over right. and over and over again, having, the, you know, that one sport year-round. Year However, as we got better... And the systems changed because then you wanted uh, the folks wanted to have um, concentration in field hockey, concentration in in lacrosse. You know that made a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, initially, you know, you if you're passionate about what you're doing, you in, enjoy it. To me, it was I loved doing what I was doing. So the badminton was a little bit. Um, they sort of got rid of the the, the badminton piece because. Or on the national level, badminton wasn't that you know right. important, but field hockey and lacrosse remained you know NCAA sports, so that made a big difference. So specifically, you have success with field hockey, but the lacrosse—I mean, you just take it to a whole nother level. How long did it take you? I know you won the first national title, and it wasn't NCAA yet; it was still. AIAW, mm-hmm. the first mm-hmm. one in 82. Right. But how long did it take for you to get the program to a point where you're like, we can compete with anyone? Well, I, I think about, about five years. Okay. You know, the biggest difference, those scholarships made the biggest difference. We were given one scholarship, and I, can, I used to laugh because the, 
the guys would say, oh, you don't want to get involved in scholarships. This creates a problem. But, you know, I'm looking at them. <laughs> and this is what really changed the, the, the dynamics because Carol Sape from Boyertown, she was one of the first scholarship recipients. And, you know, to give her to play uh, field hockey and, and lacrosse for that and to pay her tuition, that was a big thing. You know, a lot of them were never had never, never exposed to the city, never exposed to, a, you know, um, a black coach. But the, the scholarship was the thing that was interesting to parents and to them. Right. Also, I pride, um, you know, I, I have to credit the fact that my assistant coaches, I, I always made sure that I chose people who understood uh, and who were, who were white, understood the, the culture, uh, because initially, you know, the parents had, you know, you know, problems with, you know, relating to me because many of them had never even been around, a, you know, a black person before. But after, you know, they got to, to know who I was and same thing with the athletes. But our team, it was, a, it was a team environment as far as our coaching teams were concerned. So let's go to 82 when you win that first title. Is that a year going into that season? Do you think, like... You know what? Well, we're we're good enough where we've got a a shot at winning this thing. Or is it almost too big? A national title is that almost too big when you haven't done it before to think in those terms? Yeah, you know, you know, I guess again, being an underdog is um, is sometimes a, a a good thing. And again, nobody expecting anything of us. You know, looking back, I'm telling them that my my, my athletes that they don't expect us to do anything. So what do you have to lose? Just go out there and put it to them. And we did. We were, I guess, non-traditional in, in many respects as far as our playing was concerned. My coaches, you know, they brought in innovative ideas, and we had athletes who not only were skilled, but they also had that heart. You know, and I think that's that's a big part of it: the willingness to want to you want to win, and and that toughness. Looking back, that that first group was unbelievable, and a lot of stuff happens off the field. And so we had tremendous leadership off the field in our, in our captains. But sometimes the, the captains aren't really the leaders. There's other people on the team that are leaders as well. It was a tremendous um, victory, not only for the, the athletes, but the school, the community. And personally, you know, for me, in, in, in the profession that I was in. We have to take a break now on one-on-one more with Tina Sloan Green right after this. They're on a journey through breweries and watering holes throughout the region. It actually tastes like apple pie in a glass. Okay, I'm getting it now. Now I'm getting the pie. John McDevitt and Paul Kurtz are the Beer and Booze Bros. Don't miss any of their podcasts. That's all I need, another addiction. On the Radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. We are back with legendary former Temple women's lacrosse head coach Tina Sloan Green on One on One. So you mentioned... You know, the idea of being an underdog and got nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. You win a title, that's a hard card to play. Mm -hmm. And how did it, did it change the way you approach things after you have a title? Because then all of a sudden, everybody knows when you're coming to town, when you're on the schedule, stuff like that. Did it, did it have to change the way you approach things? It it didn't change the way you approach things, but it got tougher because people then, knew that you were had arrived. Temple's big. Now it's uh, right, right. Right. So they didn't take you for granted anymore. And plus, I think sometimes the, the athletes, you know, they, they begin to 
we got we start getting you know you know better athletes, but again, you have to go through some some things to you know just that doesn't happen. We got to the to the final fours, you know, what, eleven consecutive times, right. but in in eighty four and eighty eight, we actually won, but for many in that eighty eight team, you know that was unbelievable because the year before that. They had gone to the finals and lost, and they had to spend a whole year thinking about those losses. It's tough when you're expected to be good. When you're not expected, it's not as not as tough. And I think that's what what's great about sport as a team behind the the, the, the fields and behind the, the scenes as coaches. We had to work together to figure out how we're going to do this, and we had the opportunity to do it. And the opportunity to, and all, it's all about winning. And, and, and we're going to get respect if we win. That's, that's what the game's all about. But also, they were good, they were good um, academic folks as well. We had uh, folks who were um, going and wanted to be doctors. They wanted to be teachers. They wanted to be lawyers. So we, we never negated the fact that they were there for an education as well. But um, we also recognized that they wanted to, to compete, and that was important. And they loved the sport. You mentioned that '88 season. I mean, you guys were a buzzsaw. I think 19 and 0 ended yeah. up beating Penn State in the in the title mm-hmm, game. Mm-hmm. What is it like to be in the the middle of something like that? You have the program at a point where you're elite, mm-hmm. but you are. This is special. This doesn't undefeated stuff like this doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. In the moment, do you realize it, or are you? Is it the grind of? Who's next? Next practice, stuff like that, and then when it's over and you won, you're like, "My goodness, this was exquisite." What What is that dynamic like through that season? It's it's indescribable because, like I said, the year before they got to that point, a lot of those same players, the seniors, had got to that point, won every game, and then lost in the finals. So they had to spend a whole year dealing with that, and we as coaches had to spend a whole year dealing with that. When you put things in perspective, you know, to get to the final, it's, it's, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. To get to the final four is a good thing. But when you've done something beyond that, you want more. And I, I think we were all on the same page. that they, We were hungry. And we, we knew how good Penn State was. You know, we, uh, they, they were our nemesis, nemesis from the beginning. It was something, I, I guess, contagious about that, that group off the field and on the field. They were determined that this they're gonna leave on top this year. So our staff and our, our parents and the, the school Leah Chorus, I mean President Leah Chorus, I mean, they they were all you know, John Cheney, the the whole school was, you know, involved and it, the the finals were at the, um, at Swarthmore, so we were we were almost home. Right. So it was um it was a, it was tremendous. It was tremendous. Something I'll, I'll always remember, and I think everybody on that team will remember. Let's take it back to kind of your mission with Black Women in Sports Foundation. What do you think of the progress that's been made to to this point? Because specifically, like with field hockey and lacrosse, the numbers of African Americans taking part uh, pretty low. Yes. What do you attribute that to? And how far have you come? I think um, the foundation, we were at the ground level of every every movement. And, um, you know, when I, I saw a lot of progress, 
in the beginning. And I really thought, you know, about about 20 years ago that we wouldn't even need the foundation at, at this point. But now I find we need it more than ever because of the fact that these sports like field hockey and lacrosse and tennis and whatever, they're, they're lucrative. You know, when you think, look at lacrosse, the fastest growing sport in the, in the country and, and their championships are uh, bringing a lot of revenue to the, to the school. Everything's being televised. So the whole dynamics has changed. It's become more of a pay-to-play. Yeah, in order to, to be involved in, in sports, even like in basketball, you know, you, you have to go to certain camps and you have to uh, travel teams. Travel and, teams. and that, that's, a, that's very expensive. My kids were involved in tennis. And had it not been for um, the NYSP program and my daughter getting involved and being recognized in tennis and, and then being able to, uh, to make the, the, uh, the junior team, I wouldn't have been able to afford to, to send her to all those events so that she'd be seen. Progress has been made. And then when you look at the numbers, I mean, like I told you, I, didn't, I never wanted to be the, the only. So um, when I look back, and then I'm still not seeing significant number of, of females, people of color in, involved in the business of sport. Thank God for historically black schools because – you know, uh, you know, you had uh, the Nell Jacksons in the past, and the you know the, the folks at Tennessee State and the Althea Gibsons and all that. But they they were predominantly from historically black schools. Now the sport, a lot of the talent, the African American talent, you know, in the suburb in the suburbs, were going to to predominantly you know white schools. So um, I look at it, at it as um, you know right now is. The sports like lacrosse and field hockey and tennis, they need Black Men in Sport Foundation more than ever, because uh, we've we've had proven success and and, and our, our methods have been proven that we can change the dynamics of 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 a sport like field hockey, like lacrosse, like tennis. You know, I I, I think sport is a a great vehicle to, for to bring about um, integration. And I think that that's a that's a good thing, irregardless of where you come from, irregardless of of what your your financial capabilities are. If you can participate in sport along with in, in your schools or in your recreation centers, along with people who are diverse, it it's a it brings about a different type of dynamics, and um, you know. And I think that in the city now, what's happening is that uh, people are coming back from the suburbs into the city. So you have these millennials who who um, who want to bring their kids up in in public schools because they can't afford to be paying all the money for the for the private schools. So they're looking at improving the schools and and bringing about diverse, which I think is a good thing. So I'm I'm looking at the. Parks and recreation is being critical uh, for sports like you know tennis, lacrosse, field hockey, golf, um, because the fact that you need facilities. And I'm saying to all the politicians, you know, we need great facilities in our in our black communities and our uh, you know underserved communities. We deserve it. You know, we deserve to have bathrooms. You know, next to the tennis courts. You know, at Thirty Third Street. 
why should we go play play tennis and and have to you know women have to pay, go to the bathroom behind a bush? You know, Penn has a great facility, a tennis facility, and they also have you know bathrooms right there, so you can go to the bathroom. Right now, I think there's an opportunity, especially for the foundation, to to bring about a cohesiveness amongst. Um, you know, folks from various backgrounds, from various countries, from various uh, economic backgrounds, etc. cetera. Uh, be, and I think the sport and the arts are the vehicle that, that through which we can do this. However, leadership, leadership is important. We've got to have leaders who believe that integration is a good thing. They believe that historically black schools play a role in development in Pennsylvania, believe that uh, kids, regardless of where they come from, should have, should have the opportunity to participate in all kinds of sports. Believe that the the, the schools should be, uh, you know, quality schools with, um, in, you know, with uh, quality bathrooms and quality uh, uh, gyms, and and kids should be able to to go to a cafeteria and and get a, a decent meal. These are the things that we're advocating for through the Black Men's Sport Foundation. But we also have people who've come through. I, I teach what a course called Racism in Athletics at Temple. And see a lot of my students now, you know, who are now in their 40s and their 50s, and they're doing good things. But at that, in that particular class, we used to debate because for some of them, that was the first time where they actually got a chance to talk about race. The whole thing about it is we've got to start discussing. We've got to start debating. And that gave an opportunity to debate, but also gave an opportunity to visit schools, be able to, to intern in situations where they weren't the, the majority. And they, they find out that these kids are just like anybody else, you know. But, again, it was the opportunity to, to learn, to debate, and to, uh, and to uh, be around folks in the leadership roles who had anticipated that great things out of everybody, every guard, though they don't put stereotype a person. So final question, your career is so magnificent at the, the cusp of so many things. Uh, we didn't even mention when you took over at Temple, you were the first African-American women's lacrosse coach ever at the collegiate level. How do you look at your life and career and athletics? I know you still there's still work to do, but when you look at – all you've accomplished, all you've done, how do you look at it? Well, you know, I, 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 I thank God, you know, for, for first of all giving me parents who believed in, in, in God and the church and, and whatever because that gave me a, a willpower, which I think has kept me going and it still keeps me going because, you know, is that something beyond you is, is, is making you do the things that you do. And um, so I look at my career and I, I look at um, some of the things I've, I've, I've done and I'm thankful for my athletes. And it's so overwhelmingly um, pleasing for me to get a call from one of my athletes or, or something on, on email or whatever. I mean, those are the things that touch your heart. And I, and my, I have an eight-month-old granddaughter now and I'm hopeful that she'll have the same opportunities that I had and my children had. And only because of Temple or I mean, their exposure to, to Temple and college and all that kind of stuff and, 
and my husband's relationship with Tuskegee, that they were able to get the opportunities that, that they have. And never would I have thought, when I look at my children, uh, never would I have thought that my daughter would be the first African-American head coach at, at Harvard University. That wasn't the intent. We were just giving her the opportunity to play a variety of sports, to go to go to private school and give it, give us an opportunity to hang around them because, you know, the kids get into trouble. So, you know, being, the sports give you an opportunity to hang around your children, you know, and know who they're hanging around with. So I'm just thankful that I had the opportunity and that I'm still around at 75 to appreciate the outcomes. Tina Sloan Green, thank you so much for stopping by and talking with us. You're so welcome. Thank you. That'll do it for this week's show. One on One is an original sports podcast from KYW News Radio. If you like what we do and want to help us out, make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss an episode. And you can help more people find out about the podcast by finding the show on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at One on One Pod, and you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Leon Ten Sixty. Many thanks to Tina Sloan Green for joining us this week. My name is Matt Leon. Come back next week for another good conversation with someone you should know more about.